book of Acts and chapter 16. Um, and uh, I'm glad that you are uh, with us this morning. I don't know if you noticed, uh, because, uh, well, anyway, uh, today was more or less us um, singing some songs uh, concerning our coming up national holiday, the 4th of July. And uh, I'm a, a patriot from way back. Um, I grew up in a military town. My dad was in the military. Um, one of the reasons God gave me diabetes, make sure I didn't uh, do that, I guess, uh, so that I'd do what he asked me to do, not what I wanted to do. But anyhow, um, and, and so I, I'm a patriotic person, but I also don't believe church is about the United States uh, or mom or dad. <laughs> church is about Christ. And so we show up to honor him. So um, that sounds harsh, and I don't mean it to. Um, It sounds more harsh to me to deny God to talk more about something else other than him. And that's why we're here. But we are today, and guess what? The Bible falls on this subject of freedom. And and Pastor Andy uh, really didn't know. He just told me, so I'm going to do, you know, semi-patriotic stuff on that day. And so we did. We asked God for God's grace. God... Right now, America needs God's mercy as well, doesn't it? Uh, first, we need mercy, which means not getting what we do deserve, and grace is getting what we don't deserve. Um, and right now, we need mercy because we deserve a lot of judgment, uh, and we're asking God for mercy, but we're also asking for His grace to give us strength to do what we ought to do. And, uh, and, and so, as, we, as we're talking about that, we're, we're talking about freedom, and true freedom is not political freedom. Right now, we have brothers and sisters in jail especially in China, uh, very much so in China and other places around the world. They're under persecution. They're in threat of death. Some are being martyred even as we speak probably. Um, Obviously, in in, uh, Muslim-held countries, they are all being sacrificed and killed for the name of Christ. So I am grateful um, for this country. I read a quote this week that that, uh, someone said, um, uh, um, uh, America... Is, is not perfect, but it was the perfect idea, um, it, it, more or less. I'm, I'm probably not quoting that quite right. Um, and in that, the way we are established, we're established that each of us can have freedom. Our religious, uh, and, and by the way, just to help, especially the young people who are being miseducated. Um, you know, if you read the paper, if you don't read the papers, you're not informed. And if you read the papers, you're misinformed. Um, so don't forget, that was a quote by... Somebody smarter and more famous than me. But um, anyway, uh, our, our Bill of Rights does not, guarantee, does not give us freedom. It guarantees our freedom. Because our founding fathers believed that those rights were God-given. They found that in the scriptures. That men had the right to do the things that they... And so they made sure the government would guarantee the freedom of those God-given inalienable, as they called them, rights. And the chief life, liberty, pursuit of whatever God calls us to do. That's what happiness meant. That mean, all, all my life I thought happiness in that document meant, oh, I'm happy. That's not what that word, that's not how they used that word back then. It meant for the pursuit of well-being and what, what you needed in your life. So I'm very grateful to live in a country where we can meet like this and nobody's going to come through that door and threaten me with a gun. Uh, in some places that's happened. Uh, already in America, there's government agencies that have threatened uh, 
uh, some, uh, I don't know if it was a mayor or the governor of Texas, I think it must have been a mayor, um, wanted all the pastors to let, let them, uh, to tell them what they had to, could and couldn't say. Um, and and uh, I'm just grateful I hadn't been in that position yet, because I know me, I'm going to say what God tells me to say no matter what. But, um, I mean, what's the worst thing they can What's the worst thing they can do is leave me alone. The best thing they do is kill me because then I get to go home. Uh, so, you know, but I'm grateful. But that's not true freedom. Political freedom is not true freedom. Political freedom is nice. It's great. I love it. I'm glad. It's a reflection of true freedom. But true freedom only comes in knowing Christ. And that's why our brothers and sisters, and, and if you ever get a chance to go to a country that not to be one under persecution, but a third world country where people are poor, uh, and by poor, I don't mean like American poor that have six foot TVs and, and uh, all the food they can eat and cell phones. I mean poor where they don't know if they're going to eat today, and they have the joy of Jesus in their life because they're free. They've been freed from sin and slavery, and guess what? On this Sunday, God brought us to two women whom God, they, God set them free, but one had been held captive in a very dramatic way, and at least he freed her from that. The Bible doesn't tell us whether or not she got saved, but the first lady was set free, was actually literally liberated, and then we see an enslaved woman, at least a part of her slavery ended. And so today, we're going to talk about true freedom. What does that really mean out of Acts 16? And so I'm going to ask you to go ahead and stand. I'm going to read the scripture first. It's only... Um, Eight verses. Um, actually, uh, yeah, that's right. <clears throat> um, and, and actually, I'm going to go a little further than... No, I swear I'm going right there. I'm good. Sorry. I, I'm looking, I, I study out of one Bible and preach out of the other. I've got to quit doing that because then I get lost when I look at this. So setting sail from Troas, we made a direct voyage to uh, Samothrace. And the following day to Neapolis... And from there to Philippi, which is the leading city of the district of Macedonia and a Roman colony. We remained in the city for some days. And on the Sabbath day, we went outside the gate to the riverside where we supposed there was a place to pray, of prayer. And we sat down and spoke to the women who had come together. One who heard us was a woman named Lydia from the city of Thyatira, a seller of purple goods who was a worshiper of God. The Lord opened her heart to pay attention to what was said by Paul. And after she was baptized, and her household as well, she urged us, saying, If you've judged me to be faithful to the Lord, come to my house and stay. And she prevailed upon us. And as we were going to the place of prayer, we were met by a slave girl who had a spirit of divination and brought her owners much gain by fortune-telling. She followed Paul and us, crying out, These men are servants of the Most High God. Who proclaim to you the way of salvation. And this she kept saying for many days. And Paul, Paul, having become greatly annoyed, turned and said to the Spirit, I command you in the name of Jesus Christ to come out of her. And it came out that very hour. Would you pray with me? Lord God, we thank you uh, for this miraculous uh, events, these miraculous events that we see that you did uh, there with Paul and Silas. And uh, God, I just ask right now that in the name of Jesus, you would open our eyes to see the truths of what you've recorded in the Word. And Lord, help us to realize that the only reason we don't see these kind of acts today is because we aren't out there serving you where these things come up. Uh, We're not seeking 
service to you as we should. And uh, Lord, uh, when we retreat into these walls and when we, we lock the doors against the outside, figuratively speaking, then Lord, uh, we're never going to see the miracles of God because there's no point. Uh, and so Lord, deliver us from such lethargy. Deliver us from sleeping in the light. We have the power of God. We have the most dynamic thing in all the universe, the power that created all that can be discovered in this entire universe lives within us. And Lord, to keep the spirit bottled up and never to let his power flow through us to witness and tell others of Christ and see you have victory is, is a sin unto itself and maybe the worst sin. And so, Lord, we pray that we'll not be those people. Help us to see today how you meet us in the moment of our need and how you deliver us until the day we see your face. And in that day, Lord, we do not want to be embarrassed for we hid in the back. We want to be uh, able to stand before you and hear the words, well done. And that, Lord, when you reward us, that we will realize that we did nothing except obey the command that you did all those things that, that we see accomplished through us and it was all of you. And we give those rewards back because they own, you are the only one who deserves them. And Lord, in that day, as we bow before you and we worship there at the throne, Lord, we, we cannot wait to join the multitude in heaven that is singing the song of salvation today that angels desire to look into but cannot. But demons hate and so they attack us and try to kill us. And uh, not knowing that they are accomplishing your will even though they think they're fighting against you. And so, Lord, give us this day victory over our enemies. And we pray it in Jesus' name. Amen. And you can be seated. There's, the, these stories, uh, though they have enough drama in them, are probably more dramatic than you imagine. And, and there's something I want you to see today uh, very clearly. So I, this is how I put it, just a little statement and that is that true freedom does not happen without submission. You cannot experience true freedom until you're submitted. Because, because of the fall of Adam. Because Adam willfully sinned against God. Knowing what God said with clear knowledge and understanding that what he was doing was a direct violation of a direct command from the God who created him. When he ate of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, sin fell on all men. Because he was the head of the human race. It's, a, it's actually a legal term. He's the titular head of the human race. Meaning what, whatever Adam won or lost at, it was going to pass down to us. And he lost the battle. And sin came upon all men. And in our, and in our fallen state, we have to have a master. There is no man who is truly free. In the sense of that no one masters him. And you're either a slave to sin or you're a slave to righteousness. And the Bible says that that's the state that we find ourselves, one of those two. And so today, if you are not following Jesus Christ, if you're not a follower of the way, if you're not a, a believer and, and you've set your course to come after Jesus so that one day you can look like he looks and talk like he talks and, and pray like he prayed and speak like he speaks, then you're a slave to sin. But if you do know Christ and if you're chasing after Christ and following him with all your heart, then you're a you can be a slave to righteousness. 
And uh, if that's the first time you heard this, I recommend you read the New Testament. It's all through there. I won't get into all the details today. But I do want you to understand that until you submit yourself to God and acknowledge that I'm a slave to sin and I need someone to deliver me. Jesus is the deliverer. I need Christ to pay that price for me, to take my sin on himself on the cross so that I can be made free. See, we think of freedom as the, the uh, right to do what I want to do, but it's actually the power to do what I ought to do. That's true freedom. And I'll say that again uh, in case you didn't get it. That's a great bumper sticker. It's best from the 70s. Find you an old wrecked 70s car. A bumper sticker might still be on it. Freedom is not the right to do what I want to do. It is the power to do what I ought to do. Because without Christ, I don't have the power to obey God. In fact, the Bible says there's none that seeks after God. There's none who does righteousness. There's nobody looking for God because in our fallen state, we got several problems. Number one, we've made ourselves the enemy of God because of our sinfulness, our fallenness. We are born in sin. Uh, Psalm 58.3 says we are born telling lies. My daughter, <laughs> my daughter told us this week, she saw her daughter do something. And she said something to her, and she said her brother did it, knowing her mom watched her do it. And she said to my wife, I thought you had to teach them to lie. And she said, no, you don't. <laughs> and I said, tell her to read Psalm 58.3. We are born telling lies. We come out of the womb sinners that need a Savior. And if we don't follow that Savior, we don't have the power to do what we ought to do. One problem is we're a sinner and we hate God and we're running from God. We want to hide from him as, as Adam did. We, we run away from God as Jonah did. But the other problem we got is, but we're also dead. The Bible says we're dead in trespasses and sin. Not dead that I can't move, but dead in that I have no sensitivity to any external stimuli of God whatsoever. I'm alive in sin, but I'm dead to God. And so when the Bible talks about us being dead apart from Christ, it doesn't mean that I, my physical body has died. It means spiritually I'm dead. Spiritually I'm not responsive to God at all. Spiritually I've perished and I have to be made into the image of Christ. And when I am saved, when I come to know Christ, when I realize that he has called me to himself and I come to him, I am, and we use this term because Jesus used it in John 3. He said, you've got to be born from above. Nicodemus thought he meant born out of his mother's womb. He said, how could I be born again? And Jesus just took that phrase and said, you're right. You've right. You got to be born of your mom, water, but you have to be born of the Spirit. That is the second birth, to be born by the power of God, the Holy Spirit coming upon us, saving us, redeeming us, making us as if we had not sinned, filling us with his power, and now we have access to the power of God. We call that, in one short word, grace. We have the power to do what we ought to do. Now, we don't always access the power, right? I was running something electronic yesterday, and it died. And guess what I had to do? Plug it in to the power source so it could recharge. So though we have the power in us, not that the Holy Spirit ever loses power, but we better be accessing that power by plugging into God through His Word, through prayer, through being with God's people, so that we have access to the grace of God in our life to do what we ought to do. You following me? Because Paul's going to do something amazing here. I, I, I hate to say it this way. I'm going to spend very little time actually in the text. Uh, that was a lot of it. I'm going to do a lot at the end. So let me look at the text real quickly. 
And I want you to see these two women. First, we got a liberated woman. We hear a lot about liberation today, so I'm using that word on purpose. And also, let me just give a, a, a shout out to John MacArthur. I read his commentary, and uh, I was just going to stick with the first woman, and he kind of compared them. I said, that's a good idea. And I didn't do everything he said, but I, I got this idea, these two things from him. And first, we see this woman that's liberated. And, and I want you to notice some interesting things in the text here. First of all, that she was a woman who desired the truth. Now, I'm jumping all the way down to verse 13. I could read 11 and 12 again, but I, I had trouble enough pronouncing all the city's names the first time. I'm certainly not going to be able to again. Uh, but at the end, um, they come to Philippi, the leading city in the district of Macedonia. And it's a Roman colony. And he says, we stayed there a few days. They just went city to city. It just didn't seem where they ought to be. And they get to Philippi. And Paul says, this looks right. And they stop. And uh, a, a couple of notice things. So it's the Sabbath day. It's a Saturday. Now, as you understand, and I've said it before, but... In, in the intertestamental time, between the end of the Old Testament and the beginning of the New Testament, the Jewish people are scattered to the four corners of the known world at that time. And they couldn't get back to the temple because now they're slaves. They are captives to other powers. And so wherever there was ten Jewish men, they started a synagogue. They came up with this new thing. God didn't tell them to do it as far as we know. Don't think God was opposed to it because they're trying to worship him. But they, they put together these synagogues and they would have teachers, the rabbis, to try to teach uh, God's word to them. And so when Paul gets to Philippi, there's obviously no synagogue because Paul always went there first. Because these people already know about the God of God Jehovah who gave us the Old Testament and gave the Jewish people the scripture. And just in case you were wondering, all the preachers in the New Testament are preaching out of the Old Testament. Because they didn't have the New Testament yet. They were writing it. So if you don't read the Old Testament, you can preach the gospel out of the Old Testament. Just want to encourage you because a lot of people go, oh, I just don't understand it. Well, it's hard to understand something you never read. And you say, I read it. I still don't get it. Well, I understand that. <laughs> but listen, there's help out there. There's books. and There's help for it. So I just, just a word to say, read it. Now, when you get to Numbers, I give you permission to skim. Because a lot of names in there without much content, you know. I read the phone book once. It didn't have much of a plot, but it had a really great cast, you know. <laughs> this one guy told me, uh, this, we had this lady in our church. She sang just beautifully. And he said, when I die, I want her to sing at my funeral. So what do you want her to sing? He said, she can sing the phone book as far as I care. As I care. He said, that woman can sing. I just want her to sing. I don't care what it is. Numbers kind of hard to read through, but there's some good stuff in there, but. This woman is a woman who desired the truth. Look at verse 13 and 14. And on the Sabbath day, we went outside the gate to the riverside where we supposed there was a place to pray, of prayer. And we sat down and spoke to the women who had gathered there. I, I noticed several things in there. I'm, I'm pointing out she's a woman of truth. But Paul is like a hunter. I don't, I, not everybody in the world is a hunter. I'm not a very good one. But here's something a, a good hunter does. I know what they do. I just don't do it. They go out when it's not hunting season, and they look for signs of those animals, where they live, where they sleep, where they walk, where they eat, where they rest, where they hide. And they 
scout all that out. And they do that year round. They're just checking it out. They're looking. And they start noticing, man, they, there's this trail. And they really like this trail to get from here to there. And then sometimes they take this trail to get from here to there. Because this might be where they sleep. And this might be where they eat. And this might be another place they sleep. It might be where they water. And you want to find that intersection of all those points. Because no matter if they're chasing a doe or going to get something to drink or eat. When they wake up, that's the direction they're headed or coming back from. Follow me? Paul's like a hunter. He looks around and goes, if anybody here is going to pray, that's where they're going to meet. Let's go there on the Sabbath because that's where they're coming. And guess what? He was right. (laughs) He found a place that they supposed that's got to be the place of prayer right there. I don't know if there was knee prints in the mud or what it was, but he knew some reason that's where they're going to be. And when he gets there, notice who showed up. Ladies. And that was meant as a pun word. I'm not telling just the ladies to show up. Only the ladies showed up. The very first gospel sermon ever preached was preached by women. The Lord has risen out of the tomb. Come see the place. They go tell the apostles that Jesus is alive. The very first convert in Europe is a woman and it's a congregation of women. Now, that might not fit your modern sensitivities, no matter what side of the aisle you're on, of anything. But I'm just telling you, that's a fact. Women showed up to pray, and Paul didn't go, oh, well, you're just women. You don't get the gospel. No, he gives them the gospel. But here's something I really want you to notice in verse 14, which I don't believe I read again. It says, so when they're supposed to gather prayer, we sat down and spoke to the women who come together. And look at verse 14. One who heard us was a woman named Lydia from the city of Thyatira, a seller of purple goods who is a worshiper of God. The Lord opened her heart to pay attention to what was said by Paul. Let me tell you a little bit about her before I tell you what I really want to see. Purple is the most expensive dye you could buy in that day or get in that day. And the royalty wore purple. So therefore, this woman is not poor. We see that later when she brings everybody to her house. She's got a house big enough for everybody to come in. There's no mention of a husband. We don't know if she was married, if her husband had died, she was a widow, or what her deal is. But we know this. She was a very smart, astute businesswoman, and she was buying the mo- selling the most expensive stuff that you could sell, and she was making a good living at it, all right? And notice that, that, that godly idea of labor. You know, the Bible says a man doesn't work, don't let him eat. And when you build programs around giving people money without labor they become dependent on you and become a slave to what you're doing you know why they put don't feed the animals signs up in national parks two reasons one they'll forget how to hunt for themselves and two they become friendly to humans and if they come up to you to get something you don't have anything to get you they all attack you and when it's a black bear that is not fun right I'll let you draw all the corollaries there. I'll just stop and keep going. So, so this woman, she's, she's rich. She's obviously a leader. But I want you to notice she's seeking the God of Israel. She is a worshiper of God. She believes that that God the Jewish people worship is the right God, but she's a woman. They won't even let her in their synagogue. They won't let her worship God like they do. So she has to go to the river to cry out to the true God. But notice that you can go, no matter where you go, 
God will hear you. I've gone to churches that didn't even believe in God. Well, not like I do anyway. I'm not saying I'm always right, but I mean they would deny the God of the Bible. Uh, and, and, and guess what? I worship God there because it wasn't up to what they were saying. It was what, what, what I knew, right? And when God knows you're a worshiper, he'll get you where you need to be. Don't trust me. Trust God. Trust his word. Amen? I need everybody to say amen to that. Don't trust what I tell you. Check it out. Read it for yourself. See what God's saying. And so this woman, she's seeking that real God. Now, why do you think she was? Because I just told you, number one, she's a sinner, so she doesn't like God. Number two, she's dead, so she doesn't want God. Well, God must have already done a work in her heart. You say, well, that's kind of a dangerous assumption. It would be, except for the next phrase in that verse 14. The Lord opened her heart to pay attention to what Paul said. God was at work in her heart, opening her heart to hear. And let me just tell you something. If you're sitting there, and what I said earlier struck you, that you felt that in your heart. When I said, if you're not a follower of God, you're dead in your trespasses and sins. You're bound for hell. There's no hope for you except in Christ. But that meant something that caught you. You said, I, you know, I've been religious, but I've never been a follower of Jesus. I, I just, I hope I got some fire insurance. You know, the preacher said, pray those prayers. I prayed that prayer. Hope that's good enough. But you are not actively seeking after God and his will and his holiness. And that struck you that, whoa, that's me. If that struck you, let me just tell you, that's God speaking to you. Because the lost man doesn't hear that. Lost man says, you're crazy. I don't even want to hear it. But only the Spirit of God can move in your heart. And if the Spirit of God is moving in your heart, the safest thing you can do is obey Him. Immediately, quickly, submit to Him. That's why I said true freedom doesn't come without submission. you got to submit to God. I'll show you that a little bit later. You better submit to God and you better do it now. You say, why? Because God doesn't promise He'll show up a second time. And if God has spoken to your heart, now is the time. The Bible says today is the day. Now is the accepted time. Right now, you better pray and say, God, save me. I want to follow you. I want to surrender all of my life to you. I want to give everything I am to you. That's what Lydia did. God opened her heart, and she obeyed as soon as God opened her heart. And we know that because the Bible goes on to say that she was a changed woman. And after she was baptized and her household, she led her whole household in belief of Christ. She urged us saying, she didn't just say, hey, why don't y'all come over for dinner? She urged us. That means she begged them. She wanted them to come. She said, come to my house and stay. And she prevailed upon us. Because Paul, I don't know if he's a southerner or not, but you know, you got to say no at least twice before I say, no, I mean it, right? You know, somebody says, you want, you want the last piece of chicken? No, 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 I couldn't eat that. Oh, come on, you can have it. No, no, really. No, please eat it. Are you sure? Okay. And then we eat it, right? You know, I live in that house where nobody took the last piece. One day the lights went out and we heard a scream. And the lights came back on. There was one hand on the chicken and ten forks in the back of that hand. <laughs> Just kidding. That's a joke. It's stupid. So Paul made them urge him. But she says, I got plenty of room. You guys can stay there. You can... So she was providing the headquarters for the ministry that's going to happen in Philippi. And by the way, the Philippian church is the one that paid Paul to rent a house after Rome 
made him a prisoner and put him in prison in Rome. The Philippians gave him the money to be able to rent a house so he didn't have to stay in a stinky old dirty dungeon with rats. He could be in a nice house where people could come and go. And he's, and he's dictating books of the Bible to these guys. He's writing. And the, the book of Philippians is a thank you letter back to this church to say thank you for supplying the needs, the means I had to be able to rent this house so that I could do the work of God. And the first convert is this lady, Lydia, and God gives her hospitality. She was changed by God's spirit to be a hospitable person. Listen, if you are a believer in Christ, I just believe you ought to have hospitality. Some people have a gift of hospitality, and some people don't. But I come from a city where you're supposed to be hospitable. And here is a lady that God changed to be hospitable. Now, I don't know if she wasn't hospitable before. But I just believe that when God shows up, everything changes, right? She might have endured it. She might have had social parties, but that didn't make her hospitable. She knew that was a smart thing to do. Bring in the elected officials. I'm trying to sell them purple garments, so I need to be nice to them. Now she's saying, you got nothing to give. Why don't you come stay with me and I'll take care of you? Do you see the difference? Are you with me? Hospitality is making other people feel more welcome than you do in your own home. That's my definition, by the way. Of hospitality. You won't find that in Webster's. That's the Stuart definition. I believe the church ought to be hospitable, wait for it, to sinners. Because I guarantee the gospel offends them. If you're a guest of someone today, you, your friend that brought you might be going, oh no, he just told them they're all going to hell. I can't believe. They're going to think he's some radical, crazy preacher. I'm telling you, in my very, the first church I was a pastor of, there was this man, drank beer for breakfast. I told this story before, but let me just run over it real quick. And one day, the, his wife was praying for him, his kids were praying for him, we were praying for him. So we were having revival services, and my evangelist friend, hey, let's go see Virgil. Okay, so we go to his house. His wife opens the door, he goes, Paul, Stuart, come on in. My friend's name was Paul, I'm not the Paul of the Bible. And so we go in, and... She said, Virgil, the preacher's here to talk to you. And then she disappeared. We figured she'd sit in there and be with us in the conversation. So we talked to Virgil, and Paul leads him to the Lord. I was so excited. She told me later, she said, I had finally convinced him, because he would never come to church. He didn't want to be around me. He didn't want to be around the evangelist. And she had finally convinced him to come to church that night. And she said, and when I saw y'all drive up, I said, oh, no, they've ruined it. He won't go to church now. <laughs> And when she, she gave us to him, she went back in the bedroom and fell on her knees. Oh, God, don't let Paul and Stuart screw it up so he doesn't come to church. <laughs> Sometimes our faith isn't where it ought to be, right? This lady radically wanted to serve others. And in doing so, her whole household got, her whole household got saved. And she begins, instead of being political advantage, now she is a hospitable person. We, we have another lady here and. And, and even though she is an enslaved woman, God sets her free from the cause of her enslavement. And, and I don't know why we can ask God in heaven, why didn't you let us know? I said this morning, I hope this lady's in heaven, but we don't know that. It doesn't say whether she ever got saved or not, but she was delivered from a demon. But she was an enslaved person. And this is a, I, I've given you a picture of somebody set free by Christ. But here's a picture of someone who's been enslaved by a demon. And by the way, slavery always comes that way. Whether, yeah, I'll just leave it there. And so as they're going to the place of prayer, they're met by a slave girl 
who had a spirit of divination and brought her owners much gain by fortune telling. Now, listen, you drive down the road, you see those, you know, palm reader, fortune teller things. And uh, my, brother, my son-in-law believes that that's just a front for drugs. He's, I said, why? He said, because I don't ever see cars in front of them. I don't think anybody actually goes there. I think they, or, you know, but it's just a guess. I don't know. But I go by them because I believe there's a spiritual reality both on our side and on the, our enemy side. There's warfare going on in heaven right now for all of you sitting here listening to this, whether you're saved or lost. Because Satan wants to blind the eyes of the saved and he wants to keep blind those who are lost. Because if you're lost, you're blind. You cannot understand things of God unless God's Spirit tells you. But neither can we as saved people. And so the devil wants us to be distorted in our thinking and wants us to believe lies. And I'll show you that that's in this text in just a second. But she's a fortune teller. But I was telling you about those stores because when I go by one, when I see fortune teller, I just point my finger at it and says, I rebuke you in Jesus' name. I always just imagine somebody sitting in there and goes, what was that? You know, I hope so. I said that in another church, and two weeks later, one of them burned down, and this lady came and said, Pastor, I never thought about it. You told me. And then every day on the way home, I had to go by that one. And I was always saying, I rebuke you in Jesus' name, and it burned down. I went, good job. All right? <laughs> Super. Freaked her out, but I was like, cool. I won't tell you that joke. I know a joke about it, but I won't tell you. This woman was enslaved by Satan. He possessed her. Now, we're possessed by the Holy Spirit, but being possessed by the Holy Spirit sets us free. It's sort of like a bodyguard. I mean, look at me. I am not a big man, okay? I'm a small man. And that means that just by muscular size, I can only be so strong. And, right? I mean, that's just... So you give me a 6'6 guy, you know, 250 to 300 pounds, no fat, all muscle... My best deal is to do this in an argument with him. So I want that guy to be my friend so that he can walk with me, so nobody else will mess with me. That's why the Bible, Paul says in Corinthians, I'd rather be weak in my infirmities that the power of God might rest on me. The Holy Spirit goes with us because none of us are powerful enough to face demonic forces. Okay? Just you by yourself. And we're coming to that in about three chapters. I can't wait to get there. It's going to be, I love that story but here we get a little hint of God's power and what's going on you cannot fight those forces and this woman has been enslaved by Satan and I would offer that there are people in this room right now that are in slavery to the devil some of you may or may not read your horoscope and by the way it is a horror your horoscope is a horror the stars do not determine the the destiny of my life God himself is sovereign he determines the destiny of my life okay I don't trust, you know, all that is, is, is crazy. But I come from, my, my heritage, uh, uh, ethnically speaking, comes from people that delved into occult and witchcraft and all of that. And, and so I have a little, not because my ancestors probably did it, but just I've also studied on it. And that's the reality of my life. And here's what I know is the devil enslaves you. And here's how he enslaves you. He enslaves you by promising you stuff that looks good but that will kill you. Do you know why mice go into a mousetrap? Because they don't know why the cheese is free. And you think about that for a second. By the way, anybody promising to give you something? So, I mean, somebody's paying for it. It's not free. You didn't pay for it, but somebody is. 
And that's how the devil works. But if you eat this fruit, you'll be like God, knowing good and evil. No, you will fall into sin that will condemn you to hell for the rest of your life. The Bible doesn't say sin is not fun. It says it is great fun, but at the end it'll kill you. And it doesn't mean physically only. Sin will kill you physically, a lot of it. But it means spiritually you'll be dead to God, you'll die dead to God, and you will be literally dead in hell for the rest of your life. Separated from God in eternal torment. But when God sets you free, you realize that was a deception, that was a lie, and now I'm free to serve the living God, and this is life, this is breath, this is true life. And this girl was held enslaved by Satan, and because she was a slave to Satan, she was a slave to men. Brought her, notice this word, owners, they owned her, much gained by fortune telling. This poor girl is being used by men for their profit because of demonic activity. And that's happening in this area today, right now. And I don't just mean the occult, I mean sex slave trafficking. Our girls are being kidnapped off our highways between uh, Harrisonburg, Washington, D.C. and Charlottesville down to uh, uh, Richmond. It's, a, it's, it's an of epic proportion. Everybody's against slavery in the 1860s, but we want to seem to ignore slavery today. And yet it's happening even around us close by. To be used by men for their profit. It's demonic. But here's my question in this. In verse 17, she followed Paul crying out, These men are the servants of the Most High God who proclaim to you the way of salvation. There is not one shred of lie in that phrase. Everything this demonic girl is saying is the absolute truth. But the next verse says, Paul finally gets annoyed with it and tells the demon to get out. Just to reread it and make it clear, and this she kept doing for many days, Paul having become greatly annoyed, turned and said to the spirit, I command you in the name of Jesus Christ to come out of her, and it came out that very hour. I got questions that I can't answer about that. I, I, I got to be honest when I'm preaching. I don't understand all of that. Number one, I don't know why it took him several days. I don't know what finally annoyed him enough. But I did read a commentary that seemed to make the most sense to me because I've heard a lot of different things. And, and this is what made the most sense to me. When a liar is saying, that's the best man I know. Let's say this guy's a liar and he's telling you, Stuart is the best man I know. You figure that's a lie. Right? Even if I am the best man you know, which I'm not. If a liar tells you I am, I wouldn't believe a liar told me the sky was blue. Right? Because I don't trust him. And Paul knows Jesus did the same thing. Demons would say, Why, have you come to, dest to destroy us before the time, son of the most high God? And he said, shut up, quit talking. Be quiet, come out of those, that man. I had one professor who said, Jesus doesn't need demons for preacher boys. But that's why he said it. Because if a demon is telling you something's true, you're not going to believe it. And so it is twisting Paul's message to the people who need to hear the, the pure gospel. And finally he gets annoyed at, that, at what's going on. And he says, get out of her. 
and bam, it goes. And, that's, and the Bible just leaves us there. And it says, right in that moment, um, <laughs> it came out that very hour. And then the owners see that, oh, we can't make any money, and they get mad. They didn't get mad because the woman was demon-possessed or delivered. They got mad because they couldn't make money. But she was delivered from that demon by God's power. Paul doesn't say, I tell you. He says, I command you in the name of Jesus Christ to come out of her. It is only in the name of Christ that we have power over demonic forces. And I will go more into this when we, in the next time when we get to the sons of Sceva in a few chapters. But listen, we're asking people at the end of July to go out into our community to witness for Christ. We're asking people in September to go to every home in Augusta County and put the gospel in a door place. Later in that same month or sometime in the fall, we're going to ask people to go downtown when there will literally be demonic forces that show up in mass for the Magic and Mischief show, Magic and Mischief weekend. And they will be there. They'll be present. I'm going to ask somebody for permission to tell a story later when I come to that. But I promise you it's demonic. It's nothing but demonic. Say, oh, it's just for fun. No, it's demonic. See, the first thing Satan wants to do is make you take it not literally. The, one of the mo- I don't know if it still is, but for a time, one of the most popular shows on television is a television show called Modern Family. And it is the top-rated, funny show, comedy show on television, or it was, if it's not still. And, and every person in that show is messed up, either through divorce, um, ineptitude, premarital sex, homosexuality. They're all messed up. And it's supposed to be funny about our modern condition. And all of those things, even though maybe people in here have suffered through some of those things, but all of that is demonic. And God delivers us. He gives us forgiveness from those things and sets us free so we can go and follow him. But I'm telling you, America is laughing the most at what God calls. We have dedicated a whole month to being proud about sin. Period. God, and, and listen, Baptists love to say amen to that. But in the same verses it says the homosexual that practices his homosexuality is going to hell says the Baptist that's got a bad attitude and will not repent of it is going to hell. The same verses that say when we drink too much and get drunk and live a life of drunkenness, we are in danger. says if you eat too much, you're in danger because gluttony is not restricted to alcohol. Right? I didn't think I'd ever say that. (laughs) Okay, Lord, it's been fun here. I just appreciate the time you've given me. Right? We like to tell other people about their sin, but we have sin and we need to be delivered. This is a spiritual battle. That's why Paul says the weapons of our warfare are not carnal, they're spiritual. For the tearing down of strongholds and takes captive every thought to the obedience of Christ. Right? Okay, well, I, I didn't mean to get off into that. Sorry. Sorry, not sorry, but what I said was true. But anyway, so let me, let me help you apply it. Man, I, I planned to do this 15 minutes ago. First of all, if you say, you know, God's not really moving in my life, but there's this itsy-bitsy little echo of something in your head saying, but I want him to, 
Grab hold of that and cry out to God to give you the desire to cry out to God. The Bible says you plant a grain of mustard seed, it'll grow into a tree. <laughs> Birds can live in and feed people. It'd be awesome. And if you got just that a little bit a part of it, grab hold of that and say, God, I don't got much, but what I got, I want you to have it all. Please make me desire to know you. You say, but I'm already saved. Great. Do you desire to know God? Do you have a passion to meet him and to get to talk to him every day? Do you just desire, oh, I can't wait. I can't wait to tell God about this. I can't wait for him to tell me what his will is for my life. I can't wait for him to call my children into full-time ministry and service and missions. I can't wait for God to use me on a mission trip or at my church or in my friend's life that doesn't know him. Do you have a passion for the things of God? And if your answer is no, then say, God, give me your heart. Give me that passion. But if you're lost and there's just this little bit of you that says, I think I need more from God, cry out to him. And then secondly, then respond when he moves. I mean, Lydia responded right away. Paul tells that demon to go. It had to go. Respond when God calls. And here's why I say that. Because there's no guarantee that he's going to say it twice. I had the kind of dad. I don't know what your dad was like. My parents told me stuff once. They never counted to three. Because if you didn't do it when he told you, you going to get punished. Now he wasn't. He didn't come like, do this, bam, and then ju- jump on you. You know, don't, don't get that idea. But why is he going to waste his energy repeating himself? He told you what he wanted. Do it. Now, you could talk to him about it, but you can't ignore him. Right? Many people that God used in the Bible, Mary, Paul, said, uh, Lord, who are you? Mary said, how's that going to work? But they both submitted under the power of God, right? See what I'm saying? You can talk to God, but you better be, Lord, I'm going to obey. I just, I just want... A couple of details real quick. What does this mean? Okay, well, let's do it. No matter what the cost, they were willing to do it. Both of them paid a high cost to follow God. So respond if God moves in you. Because he may speak and you say, no, he goes somebody else. I don't know how that works. That doesn't even jive totally with what I, what I believe. But I just, I just have seen that. I've seen where people didn't respond and then God never says anything like that again. But here's the third thing I want you to see. Submit. To God and resist the devil and he'll flee. It's in James 4, 1 through 10. I, I would invite you to turn over. There's another hour-long sermon, so I'll do it in a minute. And I'll do it by not reading all the verses. But at the very beginning of this, he talks about that we fight and quarrel amongst ourselves, but also in our physical body, but also in the body of the church. But he, he's more talking about, about us. And he says, you desire and don't have... And so since you don't have it, you murder for it, you covet it, you can't obtain it. And you fight and quarrel. And then he says, and you don't have it because you don't ask for it. You're wanting something God doesn't want to give you because if you ask God for his will, he'll give it to you. God doesn't go up, sight. No, he, he gives it to you. If you seek God, he'll give you his best for your life. Amen? What you think is your best, not necessarily what he thinks. I used to think that... that um, Candy bars were best for me, but my mom had another opinion. So it didn't matter how many times I prayed to her to buy me a candy bar, I ain't getting it. Right? See what I'm saying? 
So when you ask God for his will, God, give me your best. And the Bible says that God only gives you his best. He desires your best. He wants to give you that which will make you um, whole and complete and well and powerful in him. And James says, but you don't have anything because you don't ask for it. And when you do ask for it, you ask it so you can consume it on yourself. You ask God for things, and when he gives it to you, you go, oh, good. You know, if you got multiple children, you buy a bag of candy, and you hand it to the first one, and the second one reaches in the bag, and they do that. And then you take it back from the first one and say, uh-uh, that's for all of y'all. That's not just for you. Now, you've had yours. You don't get any more because of your attitude. You give it to the other two. Jesus did a whole parable about that, about the guy with the talents who kept it for himself, and he was punished. Those who invested it out, God rewarded. Well, James comes along, and he gives us very practical thoughts on that. And then the Bible always calls those who are not faithful to God adulterers. And in verse 4, he says, you adulterous people, do you not know that friendship with the world is the enmity is enmity with God. In other words, if you live your life to get ahead in this world, you're an enemy of God. Because you're not seeking for God to get ahead in this world. God wants to use us to advance his kingdom, his agenda, his purpose. It's not wrong to have a job. It's not wrong to have ambition. It's not wrong to make money. He's talking about the desire of your heart, what you're after. And if you were Living every moment just for the things of this world, you're the enemy of God. And then he says, do you not suppose that it's of no purpose that the scripture says he yearns jealously over the spirit that he's made to dwell in us? God has given us the Holy Spirit. And if we only sit in church, oh, I can't wait to go to church just to be blessed. And we come here to have an experience that blesses us. And then we leave and we all go out to eat and we never even look at the waitress who, because maybe she's in a tough place in life, has that job. Maybe she's a young woman, has a baby. Last week we went out to eat, the young lady, I said, can I pray for you about anything? And she said, well, thank you. Yeah, you can pray for me. And, and I said, anything specific? And she said, my baby died. She asked me to pray for her, so I knew she didn't quite understand how everything works. So you're going to leave church. Man, wasn't church great? Gobbling down your food. You don't even give them a 10%, much less a 20% tip. And you leave some broken person who served you food without even a witness of Christ. On a Sunday. Do you know most waiters and waitresses don't want to work Sunday because... God's people are the cheapest people in the world. I know that from waiters. God is jealous over his spirit that he's put an investment in us. And he wants us to use that power for his glory. I told you it was another hour sermon. I've gone over a minute, haven't I? But he gives more grace is the next phrase. Oh, thank God for that verse. Thank God for that verse. Because everything I was describing is me. He gives more grace. So therefore, God says, he opposes the proud but gives grace to the humble. Submit yourselves, therefore, to God. We love quoting that verse, but we don't put it in the context of, I'm selfish, I'm greedy, I want everything for me. 
And God says, I gave you the Holy Spirit. You've got everything you need. The power that made the universe lives in you. What else could you ask for? But I want a bigger house, a bigger car, more money. God says, really? Because I'm going to destroy all that. You sure you want something temporary or you want something permanent? I want you to use the power in you to tell the world about me. And to live out the life of Christ. And the Bible says, so when you realize that, submit yourself to God. And then it says, when you get to that place, now you can resist the devil. This isn't a magic trick where you can walk around doing your own thing and then suddenly think you got power over demons. You better be living a lifestyle submission to God before you ever, ever decide you're going to fight against a demon. And then he says this, resist Submit yourselves, therefore, to God. Resist the devil. He will flee from you. Draw near to God, and he'll draw near to you. Cleanse your hands, you sinners. Purify your hearts, you double-minded. Be wretched and mourn and weep. Let your laughter be turned to mourning and your joy to gloom. Humble yourselves before the Lord, and he will exalt you. You say, I thought the Bible wanted me to be joyous. He does, but the path to joy is through sorrow. Because what do you know of joy unless you know sorrow? Do you understand what I just said? If all I ever know is joy, I don't understand how great joy is. We, we kind of criticize the contemporary generation, the youngest among us. And I didn't mean to rhyme that, sorry. And here's, but, but here's part of their problem. We gave them everything they wanted their whole life. They never had to work for anything. And now they don't understand. My kids don't understand what it is to live without a microwave. To have to get up and walk over to the TV to change the channel. Or to stand there holding the antenna so dad can get a better picture. Thank you, see. We all did it back in the day when you were my age and older. Right? They don't have a clue about that. My wife, she's five years younger than me. She never lived in a house without a dishwasher. I went, what? (laughs) We never had a dishwasher. I mean, that's only five years difference. And these kids, man, and then load the dishwasher. Oh, I always got to do everything. Really? Forget the dishwasher. Here's a sink. This is called Dawn. That's a rag. That's a towel. Go to work. Right? You know? Okay, I made a point, and everybody, oh, yeah, yeah, I'm going to tell those kids. No, 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 no. I'm talking to you and me. I grew up in church. All I've known is the grace of God. All I've ever known is the joy of Jesus. I have never gone to bed hungry. I have never been without what I needed spiritually. I've run away from God. I've done things against God. I've sinned like everybody has. But I've never not known the very presence of God. And for some of us, we get so spoiled to that that when God calls us to do something, we go, I don't don't think I want to do that. And that's why he says, humble yourself. You know, the Bible never says pray to be humble. He says, humble yourself, which means get off your high horse. Quit thinking you're something you're not. Submit yourself to God. Confess your sin. And one preacher said, I got to repent of my repentance. I like that. I've been saying that a lot lately. Because even my repentance is selfish. Because I don't want to go through God's punishment. I don't want to go to hell. And so it's a self, sometimes it's a selfish motivation. Oh God, give me crop failure because I just sowed some wild oats. Right? That's selfishness. Where I ought to say, God, give me your best. I, I know that's a lot to pull out of Lydia and this poor demon-possessed girl, but 
I pray God will use it in our life. Father, may we follow this rule, this, this idea that you gave your half-brother James to write down. That the reason we have fighting and quarrels and trouble and struggle is because we want stuff for ourselves, And we will fight for it, we'll kill for it, we'll steal for it, we'll covet for it. We'll break every commandment you ever gave us just to get the thing we want. 